Seeking Community Transformation Through United Prayer, an interview with Doug Silvis. Thank you for joining me for Revival in My City. For those who want to see their cities transformed by the power of God, I hope this podcast will encourage, equip, and inspire as you pursue spiritual awakening in your own city. Hi, this is Cynthia Bryan. My guest today has been leading citywide prayer in my hometown of Thomasville, Georgia for 29 years. He is founder and chairman of the board of Community Transformation Incorporated, an association of pastors and ministry leaders who have been facilitating prayer in our city since 2000. He is a respected Christian attorney with a calling from God. He has a heart to pursue revival and awakening. I want to welcome Doug Silvis. Doug, I so appreciate you and what you've done for our city. Thank you, and I thank you for what you're doing. I want to just jump right in so we can get uh, a lot of encouragement out to people who are listening. So when we think about revival in a city, what do you think that looks like? What is your picture, your dream of what revival would look like in your city? Well, the the idea of of our city coming alive in Jesus means that in every sector of the city, we would see Jesus glorified. We would see, but we'd also see excellence because God is a God of excellence. He's an excellent God. He created everything good, not just good, but perfect. And so to me, it means that in the schools, we would see excellence in education. We would see not only people being well-trained, but well-cared for, loved. We would see teachers and professors rising up to be impassioned people that love their students, that love learning, that give them opportunities to learn, but don't put them down or don't try to bias them, give them a chance to really be all that they can be. And that's the, that's the way it would be in every sector, whether it's the business sector, whether it's the hospitality sector, whether it's the church, that everybody would come alive and be the best that they can be. That's so good. And I know that you've um, really worked toward that. And so I see your heart for our city to be transformed by move of God. How did that desire in you come about? As a young person, did you have this heart to see unity and revival? How did that develop? Well, <clears throat> I've had a sense of calling all my life, not always knowing what it was. Uh, just growing up, uh, there were people in the First Baptist Church in Fort Lauderdale who would come up and say, well, where are you going to go to seminary? And but something in me would say, I'm not going to go to seminary. And yet I knew I had a calling on my life. Uh, and I wasn't sure what that meant, I'd, because in the old days, if you weren't going to be a preacher, people didn't know what to do with callings. But God has a calling on everybody. As far as me having a calling to do what I'm doing now, that evolved with time. Uh, I always had a sense that I would, would do things to a in the community. And when I left Fort Lauderdale in 1983, I had already been thrust into a situation where I was leading an organization called the Alliance for Responsible Growth. We were fighting pornography to try to make Fort Lauderdale a better place. And we closed down pornographic bookstores. And we picketed bookstores and we did all kinds of things. But God was leading me to move to Thomasville, Georgia. I had a sense of calling 
that I was going to Thomasville, Georgia, but yet I was starting over very humbly with my wife and I as starting a Christian law firm, which was something that I had felt called to do from a, for a long time. And that, that began with a small beginning, and then line upon line, precept on precept, uh, that grew. And I had opportunities to do one thing and then another, and over time kind of morphed into the fact that God began to reveal to me that he wanted something bigger. Uh, it actually, as a result of pastors asking me to lead National Day of Prayer, which I've now done for 29 years in a row, um, that really was sort of the beginning of, of a number of pastors and churches coming together because they liked coming together for National Day of Prayer. And then one year we had a communion service for all the pastors. And then they began to sense the community of pastors that they liked that. And they asked me, well, could you do something more? Let's, we need a new wineskin. We need something that, that's not Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic or, or some denomination. That's something that doesn't have the baggage of the past. And so we started Community Transformation. That's amazing. You know, I I look at other cities and, and different models for how people have um, tried to create unity in the body of Christ, and so many of them are pastor-led. And I was thinking as you were speaking, there are probably a lot of people out there who feel limited because they're not clergy. As someone who's not in clergy, you've been able to bring people together from different denominations, and there's just this feeling of cooperation of the ministers that have come together um, to pray. As you took on this role of bringing church leaders together, did you have the idea of, well, this is going to create unity, and unity is a precursor to revival, so I know God's calling me into this? Or how did you feel as this was getting started? I think the scripture in John 17, 21, with which we're all familiar but back then, not too many people were familiar and that ever thought about it, that, that Jesus prayed that we all would be one, that the world would believe. And it became a, a realization that I think God was raising up across the country with various people hearing the same thing at the same time. The sense that this only we're only going to have a worldwide transformation or we'd only have a citywide transformation if people come together. Because right now, people who don't know Christ marginalize the church because they see it as a fragmented group of people who don't agree and can't agree. And uh, it's when we act like the early church and we love one another and we take care of one another, that's when the world looks and says, hey, these people have something. That's really good. So when you think about uh, revival and awakening, what do you see as key catalyst? Well, <clears throat> you know, when we started thinking early on about about unity, we began to realize that uh, there was a Bible teacher that I used to like years ago named Bob Mumford who had a saying that if it's not practical, it's not spiritual. And I sort of applied that to the idea of unity. And that, you know, it's great to piously say, I'm in unity with you. But if I don't know you, if I don't talk to you, if I don't do things with you, what kind of unity is that? Well, we can't all have unity with everybody in the sense that we can't all eat with everybody and do something with everybody, but we can start with somebody. Well, a 
among other things, we began, I began to look for ways to bring pastors together so that they could eat together, get to know each other, perhaps form partnerships. And from the beginning, uh, well, as you know, we have first Wednesday lunches for, I don't know, 20 years now, where we sponsor a lunch on the first Wednesday of each month for pastors just to come together and get to know each other, have, have a meal, free meal, and to inspire them to come. But as a result of that, over the years, there have been a lot of partnerships, some prayer partners. Sometimes people get to know each other and say, why don't you and I pray together? Sometimes people have gotten together two or three churches to do something, to have some kind of meetings. But unity also means freedom to love one another and to not do everything together. And I've, I've continued to have to explain to people and encourage the whole group, we can't all do what somebody else is doing. And somebody comes with an idea and they want to do it. They can't. You can't expect everybody to do it. But if somebody else does, if two or three gather together and do something together, that's unity too. And the rest of us can speak well of them. The rest of us can encourage them. But everybody's called. And so there's to have real transformational change, we can't all be doing the same thing. It takes everybody doing something. Yeah, that's really good. And I've I've been a part of those um, some of those lunches, and um, I really do sense the community in the group. You know, as as we've met together over the course of um, even years, you know, to you really get to know the hearts of other people, and you see um, their heart for the city, and it just draws you closer together. You also have quarterly prayer summits. And those have been some really powerful gatherings. Could you tell me what the motivation or what the goal is for those quarterly meetings? Well, taking it to the next level or the next step, <clears throat> we started looking at, at uh, maybe having a time initially for pastors to get together and have what we used to call a retreat, uh, a prayer retreat or a get-together to, to pray more than just and we, by the way, we've we had morning prayers uh, on Wednesday mornings for 20 years too. We we're actually longer than that because even before we found a community transformation, I was involved in a Wednesday morning prayer meeting that used to meet at Vashti School, and that's how the National Day of Prayer thing ultimately got started. Where I was asked by a few people to lead the National Day of Prayer. In in any event. Um, the prayer summit thing came from starting to have pastor get-togethers. We'd had a couple of retreats with pastors. We called a pastor prayer summit because we'd heard about them being led by the International Renewal Ministries. And a few pastors would come, and we had, I think we actually had 15 at one point. But I had a, a member of the board, uh, Barry Perez, who was actually my pastor at the time at New Covenant Church. And Barry looked at me and he said, you know, the marketplace is where it's at says, people, the tr there's a few pastors get it, and a lot of pastors are just in their own world and not interested in coming together for a whole number of reasons. But whatever it is, the people in the marketplace don't have those inhibitions. They don't care. People in the marketplace, whether they're Catholic or Baptist or Pentecostal, they do business together every day, and they're not worried about what denomination somebody is. The marketplace is where it's at. So I, I, he just made that as a comment. I recently reconnected with Barry, who's been gone for years, and, and he doesn't even remember saying that. 
And in so many cases, people say things that God uses. He It wasn't, in his case, feeling like God had given him a word from on high. He, he was sitting next to me at one of our first Wednesday lunches or also at a prayer meeting They when we, had, we used to have breakfast and then pray. And I don't, can't remember which, but he just happened to be sitting next to me that day, and he said that. And But when he said it, it was like you could have been having trumpets blowing in heaven to me saying, that's the word of God to you. So I began to explore that and figure out, well, what does that mean? A marketplace prayer summit, getting people to, and I and being a person in the marketplace, being a lawyer, having dealt with all the bankers in town for doing real estate closings or having dealt with business people forming businesses and church people forming churches and all kinds of other kinds of business. I was I knew a lot of people in the marketplace, and I knew a lot of Christian people in the marketplace. So I had the opportunity to do that, but I still didn't know what it looked like or what it meant. But that, but in any event, that's how the idea of marketplace prayer summits came to be. Well, I, as you were speaking, I was thinking um, it's it's just so neat how this developed. Like you didn't just step out and start everything at one time. Like I'm I'm thinking of uh, people who might be listening who have the heart of God for their city and for bringing unity. But you took the first step was, for you, was the National Day of Prayer, and you got that started. And then over the course of years, you added other things, the um, once a, a month pastor lunch to get pastors together, and then the quarterly prayer summits where you have more time together to pray more deeply, and then the annual pastor appreciation dinner which is really a, a amazing event. And I think as that's grown and developed over the years, like you've really found a way to connect with pastors through worship. So I'd just like to respond to the first thing you asked me, which is about the way that evolved from small beginnings yeah. and that a key verse in my life from the very beginning, and especially from the time that I came to Thomasville, and it was just my wife and I in a new city, trying to start a new law practice in a place where everybody else knew each other, and I was somebody from somewhere else. But the verse was to be faithful in small things, and I'll make you ruler over us. And I think that's the key to everything that we do in God, that sometimes I, I see people that want to start a business or people have a lot of dreams, and they dream big, and it's good to dream big, but you have to be practical to start someplace small. And that's that's the key is to start with where you are and do it excellent. So like when I came to doing the National Day of Prayer, I will spend 30, 40, maybe even 50 hours preparing for one National Day of Prayer Day to try to, to consider the fact that people's time is valuable. And if they're going to do it in an hour, it has to be, if they're going to, if, if people that are pastors and leaders are going to be involved, it has to be done with excellence. And so if you do one thing with excellence, then maybe the next thing you can do with excellence. And then and the same thing became the true with the prayer summits and so on. But going back to the being faithful in small things, there were days, only one that I can really remember, that I was the only person who showed up for prayer. And then that would test me as to whether or not it was God what it was about me pleasing people or what was it about. 
And I, and I realized that if nobody, I, my commitment, if nobody else came on Wednesday morning to pray, I would be there because that was my appointment with God. And if other people wanted to join me in that appointment, that was even better. Now, you said you wanted me to talk about the, the um, pastor appreciation dinners. And that was another, that was a step that came later where somebody mentioned one year that October was pastor appreciation month. And it'd be nice to do something to show appreciation to our pastors. And, and throughout all this, by the way, I've had a wonderful boards of directors. And, I, and I, we started out with, Community Transformation started out with me getting four diverse pastors to help me plan and come up with a, f- a foundation. One of them was a Baptist pastor, Don Pravat. Uh, one of them was a black pastor, Israel Blake, who's now gone on to be with the Lord. Um, another one was was uh, Steve Bradshaw, who was a, a non-denominational pastor. And, um, you know, we had we had another Episcopal pastor who was Father Chuck Bennett. And they were very different people, but all had input and all had a vision for the community and for bringing it together. So if, then we, out of, we got a board of 12 to start out initially when we incorporated in 2000. And over the years, as is the nature of a mobile society, people have come and gone, but we've continued to attract and recruit wonderful people. And so anything that I've said about what we've done has had input from a board of great people, and they're all leaders. And so people that were, that were inspired to be part of it, and, and in many cases, they did say what you said earlier. They'd say, well, we want you to continue to be the leader because you're not a pastor. That way, no one, nobody can say that it's, it's a this or it's a that. It's you're just you're and if and as a lawyer, you can tell people to sit down and be quiet because people don't like lawyers anyway. <laughs> and that's what lawyers do, they just offend people so they can just tell them so this is this is the way it is. So I had sort of a freedom to to do things. One pastor who's later on moved on to Bainbridge used to call me the our their deacon at large to the to the community. It was whatever whatever I needed to be, but Anyway, we, we did um, the board, somebody on the board suggested something for pastor appreciation, and we began to have these uh, annual, about six years ago, I think, uh, pastor appreciation dinners, and we tried to do those with excellence. We have them at the country club. We have a first-class meal, something that a lot of pastors, particularly of small churches, may not get regularly. And so we want something that a pastor and his or her spouse can come to and have something first class, something that's worth giving up an evening for. And then we've had different kinds of entertainment, most recently just first class worship music, something that, that they can enjoy and like and be together. I've had the privilege to be a part of those for the past few years, and it's such a great event, getting to know other pastors and their spouses, sharing a meal together, learning about their families. And the worship's been amazing. There's something so powerful about worshiping the Lord together. Well, of course, that's a good example of partnering. And on the micro level, as I said, you start out, if you're going to have unity, you start out with twos and threes. That's what Jesus did. Two or three gathered together. Well, the same thing even can be true with organizations. Two or three churches can gather together. In our case, Brian Watt is the director of, as you know, One Heartbeat Incorporated. Neat name, 
indicates the whole purpose of bringing people together. And that organization and our and community transformation has partnered together for several years now in doing these pastor appreciation dinners, prayer summits, and other things. And yet we still do different things, but we also do a lot of things together and support one another. Yeah, it's a great partnership. I interviewed Brian Watt recently. He's actually on episode two. So if you're listening and want to hear more about how to impact your city through acts of service, you can check out episode two. As I was thinking about the unity that I do feel is in our city, I was thinking of those times that helped to forge unity. And it seems that the times of crisis brought leaders together. As we came together as a group to pray, as we saw those prayers answered, I feel like it kind of knitted us together. I'm thinking of prayer that we had at quarterly prayer summits and weekly prayer meetings and some of the threats that we faced that were coming against our city. It's just been a a really uh, beautiful thing to be with people who have the heart of God for my city to pray together and pray with confidence and boldness, knowing that we agree with each other and then seeing God move through that. I was wondering if there's an event or a situation where we saw an answered prayer that you'd like to share. Sure. Of course, there were there have been a couple, and <clears throat> one to which I think you were alluded was the the fact that it, several years ago it was predicted that we would have serious storms hitting Thomasville, and tornadoes were very likely. And I'm not sure how they were able to predict so accurately, but we had a prayer summit scheduled the day before a storm was supposed to hit, and our fire chief, uh, Chris Jones, who's still very active with us and comes to our prayer summits, showed up. And he's the director of, of emergency response for our community, as for the county. And he said, you know, he said, I have so many things I'm supposed to be doing today that I don't have time to be here, but there's no more important place that I could be. Because the weatherman says that what's going to hit Thomasville tomorrow is, could change the face of our entire community. and We need to pray. So we canceled our agenda for the normal agenda for the prayer summit, and we interceded for 45 minutes or so about for God to spare us from the storms that were predicted. And of course, that prayer summit's been being hosted by Charles Balfour out at Myrtlewood Plantation Clubhouse on Lower Cairo Road between here and between Thomasville and Cairo. And the next day, a tornado came right down that road, Lower Cairo Road, stayed on the other side of the road, didn't hit Myrtlewood Plantation where we had prayed, got to the business district, which is the place at the outskirts of Thomasville where there are a lot of industries. And when it got there, it made a sharp right turn, the same as if you were in a vehicle that you were going to just turn and make a right turn and go, the, go down the other way. It made a sharp right turn and went around the entire business district and spared all those businesses. And it, it did affect a housing area down the south of town, but marginally. And nobody was injured. There wasn't any real serious damage. And God really spared us. So that was, a, that was certainly an example of something where uh, it showed that somebody, in this case, Chris Jones, was like Nehemiah in chapter four of Nehemiah. He was the man with the trumpet. He blew the trumpet and we rallied to the place in the wall where we needed to pray. Of course, another situation later on was had to do with the uh, 
about three years ago, we had a black man that was shot or was was killed in a as a result of of law enforcement people attempting to arrest him. And it created a furor, and people from outside the community were coming into the community trying to stir up agitation. And, and because we had a diverse group of pastors, there were black pastors and white pastors, and we had men particularly who were black pastors who were like the men of Issachar. They had a, a, a sense of timing and a sense of, of what needed to be done, and, and particularly Terry Scott, who later was our was on the city council and was our uh, was became mayor pro tem of the city council and he he said we need to get out ahead of this and asked me to to form a group and he identified the people he wanted to be part of the initial group and we began to to meet weekly on Fridays with three black pastors uh, three white pastors and pray together and figure out how to do things and then a lot of people were doing different kinds of initiatives as a result, to get out in front of that. And the black community in our town told people from out of town, like Black Panthers that were coming into town, we don't want you. And that, and that was such a good thing. It was just, it was a God thing. We already had relationships with each other. And when the crisis came, we were able to fall back on those relationships and know we could trust each other. And I think that was, was and is the key. And it, would, it, it wasn't what any organization did. But the fact that relationships had been that basic thing of people had eaten together, talked together, knew one another, and trusted each other, and knew each other's hearts. As you've been through this process, I'm sure there's been times when you were discouraged, like being at a prayer meeting by yourself. What kept you pursuing the vision and and pursuing what God had put in your heart? Well, in my case, I was fortunate enough that I've always had a sense of calling, but God doesn't reveal everything to us at once. It's that line upon line, precept on precept, faithful in small things, I'll make you ruler over other things. And so I've I've tried to stay the course because it's a God calling. And I have believed that if God is in it and that ultimately we would see fruit. And it it has it has been a, a journey. And there are challenges, and sometimes people would misunderstand and people would criticize, but that comes with the territory. As you know, several years ago, I had a heart condition called atrial fibrillation, and it was an attack. I think the devil was trying to take me out, but God used it, and ultimately, uh, I was restored to one heartbeat (laughs) (laughs) because of of, uh, prayer and because they burned my heart and took out all the places that were competing and beating that shouldn't be beating so that I'd get back to what I was supposed to be doing. And so somehow I have tried to, to remember that God had a plan, and but to get back to, to stick to the basic, come back to what he wanted me to do and, and stick to that. And so it's, it's, it's kept me going, but I've also, even in that situation, of course, that, that took me back to basics. I mean, when I was getting ready for a nine-hour heart surgery, and I was laying on the table in Tallahassee Memorial Hospital, you never know until you're there, how do you really react? It's one thing to be academic, and it's another thing to be real. When I, but at that point, I knew that I was able to say to God, here I am. If there's more you want me to do, send me back. If you don't, here I come. 
Well, I'm so glad he sent you back. <laughs> and um, I just want to thank you and honor you for the years that you have pursued unity in the city, for the years you've um, led prayer in the city, and the way you have encouraged people to pray and brought people together and cast vision for our city and for what God can do through united prayer has been so powerful and has encouraged so many people. Um, I, I feel like uh, no matter what city people are in, that there have been a lot of prayers for that city. Um, we're not alone in this. A lot of times people who are praying for a city kind of get that sense of being the one <laughs> who's interceding. And you've just really brought people together to see that um, that God's moving and that we do have uh, a, a role to play. God uses prayer to bring revival and transformation to a city. I, I appreciate that. And I'd like to say this as a kind of a closing and important remark, I think, to anybody that would be listening. And that is that getting back to the basics, everybody can have a prayer partner. When we first started Community Transformation, I spent about a week praying and asking God, what could I give to pastors who are spending their time that they could be spending on their own congregations to help them? And the thing that the Lord impressed on me was not rocket science, simplicity, but provide them a a teaching on prayer partners, how critical it is and how basic it is that we start with having prayer partners, that if every church, if we're going to have unity in the community, it starts with unity with two or three people coming together because you, you can say, I'm in unity, but the practicality is, who are you in unity with? And really, it's really hard to be in unity with very many people just because of trust issues and other things, but <clears throat> each person needs a prayer partner. And going all the way back in my life, I've had prayer partners <clears throat> from when I was young. And I say this, if, if you're a grandmother, I had a pray, I had a lady that was not my personal grandmother, but who was a grandmother like to me when I was in high school, who was assigned to be my prayer partner in the church I attended. And she prayed me through college. And she and God did a lot of things in my life, but I had a prayer partner that prayed. And she may not have done anything special except pray for me, but it made a difference in my life. And then when I was in college, God brought me a couple, a couple of guys in my fraternity who were Christians, and we had morning prayer meetings in my fraternity house. And we got together and prayed, and we confessed our faults to one another. We prayed for each other. We were transparent with each other about the things that guys go through when they're in college, and we sustained each other. But that, that was the basic upon which everything I've done is built, was realizing the wonder of the blessing of having prayer partners. So from the beginning, I've always had prayer partners, and every place I've gone, I've, I have wanted to, I've either found or created a prayer partnership with people and the same thing was true when I was in law school, same thing whenever I was in here. When I first got to Thomasville, I was invited to a prayer meeting on a Wednesday morning, and there was a few guys who got together and prayed out at Vashti School in the cafeteria. And I went because I wanted prayer partners. And all those things led, one thing led to another, but it all came out of having prayer partners and people who prayed 
for the city, prayed for things to begin to happen in the city way back in 1983, ultimately grew into what we have today, and we're a long way from where we want to be. Everybody can have a prayer partner, and that's where we all need to start. Doug, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for what you're doing, Cynthia. Thanks for listening to Revival in My City. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, review, or email me at Cynthia at RevivalInMyCity.com. I hope you will join me in praying. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in my city as it is in heaven.